Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I just want to say welcome to everybody, wherever you're at with your device. This is new. This is different. But we are really excited about bringing messages live online. In fact, you may have noticed a few people here. Uh, we've got a few of our staff, a couple of our elders that are here kind of uh, cheering me on a little bit. But uh, I am excited, really excited to bring you a message today. In fact, we're starting a series now on our, in our 5 p.m. services. We're just entitling this, There Is a Hereafter. So we're going to talk about death. What is death? What happens after death? We're going to talk about grieving. We're going to talk about what do you do when someone who you know dies. Uh, We're going to be dealing with all of those sorts of issues from a biblical perspective. Of course, we've got the world coming at us with their way of thinking, with their culture, with their beliefs. But uh, we're part of the kingdom of God. and, And we live by the values of the kingdom. And I really believe that this is going to be really an exciting, exciting series of messages that we're going to be doing. We just mentioned that we are bringing back seven at seven. Now, what this is going to be, is going to be a little bit different because we're going to be posted at seven in the morning. We're going to be doing a message for you. It is literally going to be a message of encouragement. We're going to have a confession and we're going to have a prayer. And uh, you can get that right at seven o'clock with us or as as we're we're doing this, or you can uh, watch it during the day and it is going to lift your spirit. It's going to feed you spiritually. And this is going to be an absolutely great thing. And I want to encourage you to participate. So to begin with, I want to go to the book of Job, one of the books that is very seldom talked about in the Bible. It's actually believed that Moses was the author of this book, and he probably wrote it before even he wrote the book of Genesis. Everything that he wrote, he wrote as God showed him what had happened. So it says this in Job 32 in verse 8. It says, but there is a spirit in man. There's a spirit in man. You know, I, I have talked with people, and they said, you know, when you're dead, you're dead like a dog's dead. It's over. It's done. Nothing matters. But the Bible says there is a spirit in man. Now, you know this. God is a spirit. Jesus said that in uh, John's gospel, chapter four. God's a spirit. Hebrews chapter one says that angels are spirits. Now, you know this about God. He doesn't get old. God's never going to die. Angels do not retire when they're 350,000 years old. They never retire. You say, why? Because they're spirits. And the Bible says that you are a spirit. There is a spirit in man. Now, as the Bible is progressive revelation, what that means is what you find in the beginning of the Bible, the truth about that subject continues to be revealed. And it's revealed more and more as you progress in your Bible. That's why we tell you, particularly as a Christian, and especially if you're a new Christian, start in the New Testament. Right? That's the part that really applies to you. And that's where the most revelation on every subject is going to be revealed. But in First Thessalonians, then it says even more about the spirit. It says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what this says to you and to me is this, that you are three parts. You are a spirit. The real you is a spirit. 
And remember, God's a spirit. Angels are spirits. Now, listen, you're not God. You're never going to be God, but you're the same type of a being. And that's why when we say this about you, we say that you are a hybrid being. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. What that means is this, that because you're a spirit, you can contact God and you can move in the spiritual realm. But you also live inside of a body and that body contacts the natural realm. So you don't just move in the natural realm and you don't just move in the spiritual realm. You are a hybrid and you're able to move in both realms, the natural physical realm and the spiritual realm. So it says here that you are spirit, soul and body, that you are a trichotomy. You have three parts. Now, what most people do, most of the world only recognizes two parts. They recognize you have a physical body and they recognize that you have a soul, but they miss literally the most important part of you. And that is that you are a spirit. And the way that you as a Christian and I as a Christian need to think, we need to think of ourselves. First of all, I'm a spirit. Secondly, I have a soul. I have a mind. And thirdly, I live inside of a body. In Genesis chapter two, the Bible says this, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's referring to this physical being. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living soul or an immortal soul. What we would consider your soul, your your will, your mind, your emotions, your, your mental capacity. That part of you became immortal. When God breathed the spirit into you, that's that, that part of you came from God. The Bible says that God is the father of spirits. So what happened is you became immortal, not eternal. To be eternal means you never had a beginning and you'll never have an end. But you became immortal. That means you have a beginning, but you will never have an ending. Now, we're going to be talking about that from the Bible, because what's going to happen is someday, If Jesus does not come back, your body is going to wear out and it will die. But the real you that lives on the inside of that body is going to step out. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter three, it says, but God has planted or placed eternity in the hearts of men. And it's interesting that no matter what culture you go to anywhere in the world, they believe in a hereafter. They understand that that uh, this life is not the end, that there is more. It's interesting that when God created man and Eve, he put them in this garden and he told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity. He said, because the day you eat of that tree, he said, you will surely die. Well, they ate of the tree. And the Bible says that Adam lived for an additional over 900 years, but he did die that day. But the part of him that died was the part of him that had his connection with God. It's his, it's his connection with God that died. In fact, in the Bible, death really refers to separation. And his relationship with God was separated. Before he sinned, every day, God would come, walk with man, talk with man. They would fellowship together. But once he sinned, that connection was broken. And the Bible says he's afraid and he's hiding from God. Now, why does that happen? Because something happened in his relationship with God. It was severed. So you are three parts, spirit, soul, body. With your spirit, you contact the spiritual realm. So the Bible says this in Proverbs 20, verse 27. It says, the spirit of man 
is the candle of the Lord, the spirit of man. So when God talks to you, he doesn't talk to your body. And really, he doesn't even talk to your mind because God is a spirit. That's where he talks to you. That's where he illuminates you. That's where he enlightens you. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, because you have a soul, you can contact the intellectual realm right, and can participate in the intellectual realm. And you have a body so you can contact and participate in the physical realm. But again, the most important part of you is the spirit. So in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Now, the Bible says when you are in Christ, when you receive Jesus, when you surrender your life to him and turn your back on your old life, the Bible says you're born again and you are in Christ. At that point, the Bible says that the old has passed away and all has become new. You're a new creation. Well, listen, when, when you receive Jesus, if you're bald, you're still bald. If you are 30 pounds overweight, you're still 30 pounds overweight. And if you are bad at math, you're still bad at math. It, it's not your body that changes. It's not your soul or your mind that changes. But what changes is on the inside in your spirit. God comes in and makes that part of you new. And that part of you comes back into right relationship with God. And once again, there's fellowship. In fact, Jesus refers to God as the, our father. All right? There is this family connection, this family love. There's this family relationship. When you become a Christian, it is your spirit, the real you that is affected. Right? Not your head, not your body. In fact, I would dare to say this, that your body is not a Christian at all. Your body is crazy. If you listen to your body, you will do crazy, stupid, dumb, ungodly things. You say, yeah, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, but your spirit's a Christian. Your body's a heathen. Your body's still crazy. And that's why the Bible tells us that you need to crucify the flesh. You need to tell your flesh, the spirit needs to tell your flesh, no, no. In fact, I love what it says here in Titus. Uh, I believe it's chapter two, where it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly desires. Now, what part of you is saying no? It's your spirit that's rising up, taking dominion and saying no. But then we still have our soul. The spirit got saved. Your body is not saved and will not be saved until Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, your body's going to be saved. And the Bible says we're going to receive a body like his glorious body. But until then, you've got this body you've got to crucify because it's going to want to do wrong things, dumb things. But your soul, your soul in one word would be your mind. So in James chapter one, it says this. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Now, he's writing to Christians, and James says that God's word is able to save your soul. Now, your soul is your mind. So your, your spirit was saved. Your body will get saved, but your mind is in a process of being saved. So we can say that you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Your spirit was saved. Your soul, your mind is in a process of being saved. 
and your body will be saved when Jesus comes back. So it says, receive with meekness the implanted word, and it's able to save your soul. And, and, and often when a person prays and receives Jesus, we say, oh, their soul was saved. The truth is their spirit was saved. And now they're going to have to do something with their soul. They've got to change the way that they think. In fact, listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this really is the most important verse on renewing your mind, on changing your behavior in the entire Bible. It says this, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, that word transform, in, in the Greek, we get our word metamorphosis from it, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Another translation says it this way. Don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way that you think. The world has its values, but they are not the kingdom of God values. The world has its way of thinking, of doing, of what it values. It has its own morality, but that's not the morality of the kingdom of God. And the way that we are transformed, our souls, our minds are saved is by changing how we think. We need to think like God. Now, here's the good news. When you take your Bible in your hand, you are not reading the thoughts of David or Peter or Paul or John. You are reading the thoughts of God. You see, that book in your hand is God-breathed, God-inspired. And so when you read that, you're going to read God's values, God's morals, God's judgments. And the Bible says we need to change the way that we think. And again, Proverbs 23 says, surely there is a hereafter. I've heard Christians say, you know, if you will receive Jesus, uh, you'll, you'll live forever. Well, that is true. But it's also true if you don't receive Jesus, you'll live forever. Because everybody's going to live forever because everybody is a spirit. Every person is a spirit. And that spirit cannot die. As a young Christian, I had thought I could help God. I thought, God, you're so happy. You, you should be so happy to have me on part of your team because I've got an idea for you. Like I would have one that God hadn't had. And I'm going to like kill the devil. Just kill him. Invite all the, all the devils to the funeral and kill them too. And we'll just start the millennium in the morning. But the problem is you can't kill the devil and you can't kill a demon. That's why the Bible says they're kept in everlasting chains of darkness. Because they're a spirit and they cannot die. That's why the Bible says in Revelation 20 and verse 10 that the devil is thrown into the bottomless pit or into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Because you cannot kill a spirit. So every person is going to live someplace forever. Now, the, the, the problem or the problem, the question is, where will you live forever? Will you live forever in God's presence, or will you live forever separated from God? Now, in the book of uh, Proverbs, it says this. Excuse me, it's Ecclesiastes. It says, where a tree lies or where it falls, there it will lie. Where a tree falls, there it will lie, whether to the north or to the south. Now, it's not talking about trees. It's talking about people. And it's saying, when, you're, when your life is over and when you fall, when, when your death comes, the way that you are with God is the way you're going to be for all of eternity. It's not like we're going to die and then we're going to say, oh, God, I, I was wrong and, and I want to renegotiate. I want a second chance. Now, there's just one opportunity. 
The Bible says in Hebrews, it's appointed for a man to, to die once. And after that, the judgment. There's not a renegotiating. Uh, I, I could say it like this. Nobody comes back as a cat. You don't get to come back and say, oh, I'm going to pay for my previous sins in the next life. No, there's no reincarnation. It's appointed for a man to die once, just once. And then the judgment. So when, when I think of the Bible, and I, I believe this is true about you too. When I think of the Bible, this is what I think. I think this is something, it's God's word and it came down from heaven. And that is true. That is so true. But there is just a very small portion of the Bible, just a few verses that actually come up from someone who has died apart from God. And they're crying out in a place of torment. And I want to read those to you in just a moment. But the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3. It says every part of scripture is God breathed. And it's useful in one way or another. Showing us truth. We're living in a society that does not believe in absolute truth, but God says there is truth. It says exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. So what Jesus does is he literally rips back the veil when it comes to what happens at death, what happens after death. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this story. He says there was a certain rich man. Now, now, let me begin by saying this. Jesus doesn't say we can compare the kingdom of God to, or he doesn't say it's like this. He says this, there was a certain rich man. I personally believe that this is an actual account of something that took place. There was a certain rich man and he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So this man is living an opulent life. And his life is really focused on himself and himself only. And it says, and there was a certain poor man. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores. He was laid at the gate. And desiring to be fed from the crumb which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died. And he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom or at his side. Now, I want you to notice something. The Bible says that this poor man, Lazarus, that he died. Now, what would have happened was they would have taken his body and they would have put it in a pulper's tomb somewhere. But the Bible says that the angels carried him. See, his body died. But the real Lazarus that lived on the inside did not die. Now, someday, if Jesus tarries, your body's going to wear out and my body's going to wear out. And when my body wears out, the real me, the real you that lives on the inside is going to step out. And notice the Bible says angels carried him faster than the speed of light. When somebody dies, instantly angels carry you. And they're going to carry you to one of two places. And both of these places are shown here in, in the story that Jesus tells. I, I love what uh, Dwight L. Moody said. He said, someday you're going to read in the paper that Dwight L. Moody is dead. He said, don't you believe it? He said, I will never have been more alive than when they say I'm dead. Because the real you that lives on the inside is going to step out. 
And the real you that lives on the inside is stepping from this natural realm into the eternal God realm. And I know we think of this realm as being so real. But listen, everything that you see was made by a spirit. Everything you see came from the spiritual realm. And the truth is that the spiritual realm is even more real than this natural realm. So the beggar died, but the angels carried him. And when you die and I die, instantly we will be carried. right? And you will be taken to only one of two places. Now, this rich man, he was living in pleasure. He was self-focused. And right outside his gate was a poor man, and he struggled just to survive. Life was, was, was uncertain, and, and life was not fun. But for us that are Christians, I want you to know this, whether, whether you have an abundance or whether you lack. It says that Jesus taught this. He's teaching the Lord's Prayer. This is the Passion Translation. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Um, particularly here in America, there is such an abundance, and it's very easy to focus on that abundance. But what we need to focus on is the glory of his name. And our lives need to be centered on Jesus. Don't center your life on anything else but Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, and then all of these other things, they're going to be added to you. So the Bible really today is not so much. Now, now we're going to be talking about what happens when somebody dies, right? And that's very important. I don't want to ever minimize that. But what God is trying to do today in your life and in my life is not so much just get us to heaven. What God is trying to do is to get heaven in us now. Jesus said, pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're thinking that he told us to pray, make sure I get to your kingdom someplace up in heaven. But he said, no, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. You see, he wants the kingdom of God to come to earth today in your life in my life, through your life, and through my life. We, we tend to be totally focused on heaven. And, and I, I am not saying we don't need to have a, a, a heavenly perspective, but we need to realize what God wants to do today, he wants to do in the earth. He wants to do it in you today. Right? Your salvation doesn't begin when you die. Your salvation begins immediately when you get right with Jesus. And no matter where you're at, in fact, David said it like this. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And then he says, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. No matter what valley you're going through today, he's with you. He hasn't forsaken you. And on the other side of that valley, he has a table prepared for you. And notice it's in the presence of your enemies. Somebody said, well, when I get to heaven, your enemies aren't going to heaven. Your enemies are the devil and demons. They're not going. It's talking about something that's going to happen now. And then he goes on and he says, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So don't just be focused on where we're going eternally. We need to have that focus, but we need to realize God wants to do something now. 
today in your life and through your life. He wants the kingdom of God to come. Now, Lazarus has died. They buried him. The Bible says angels carried him. Now, how, how, how does this look? What does this feel like? What does it look like? I want to read a little portion out of 2 Corinthians, and I want to talk about this a moment. I want to unpack it. He says, now, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, and he's actually talking about himself. Notice he says, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows how such a one was caught up to the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. How he was caught up to paradise. Other translations say the third heaven and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, here's what Paul is saying. And he goes on and he, he repeats again that he knows that he went to heaven, but not whether he went in the body or out of the body. He says it twice. So here's what happened. Paul went to heaven, but he doesn't know if he took his body with him or he left it home. Now, I want you to think about that. If you went to the grocery store and left your body home, would you miss it? And the answer is a lot less than you think. Now, this story is going to continue. And I'm going to just tell you what's going to happen. This, this rich man that has died is going to lift up his eyes and he's going to see Lazarus afar off at Abraham's side. And he's going to cry out and he's going to say, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he put the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in torment in this flame. Now, here's what many of us do not understand. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. How many of you know God's a spirit? He's a spirit, but God has a body. He does. Because the Bible says that he put his hand over a cave and he had Moses in the cave. And he passed by and he took his hand off and Moses saw his back. So God has a body, but it's not a physical body like yours. It's a spiritual body. So we need to understand this. First Corinthians 15, there's a natural body. There's a spiritual body. So your natural body, you know about it. Two hands, two feet, eyes, ears, nose, mouth. But your spiritual body looks just like your physical body. It has eyes and ears and mouth and hands. In fact, the rich man says, have him put his finger in water. Now, we know his body's in a tomb, but yet he says his finger. Well, how many of you know if you've got a finger, you have a hand? And he says, put it on my tongue. How many of you know you have a tongue, you have a mouth? And if you have a mouth, you have a head. So, so what, what we see is this, that in the, when a person dies, their physical body dies, but the real you steps out. And the real you is going to look down and go, oh, there it is. There's my body. But you're going to be just as much you as you were before. Paul said he went to heaven and he didn't know if he left his body or not. And he says, I saw things. I heard things that I can't even talk about. Right? So re re realize that there's a physical body and there is a spiritual body. So your physical body will die, but the real you will step out and you will be just as much you as you ever were. You are a living soul, an immortal soul. You'll be just as much you as you ever were in your life. You will not be any less. So the Lazarus, the beggar died. He's carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, Lazarus is carried by the angels. Undoubtedly, this rich man, the same thing happens to him. The real person on the inside has stepped out. 
And James chapter two says this, as the body without the spirit is dead, as the body without the spirit is dead. You see, you, you say, hey, I see Dwayne up there. But the truth is you see the body Dwayne lives in. Dwayne is on the inside. And the reason I can lift my hand is because the real Dwayne on the inside says to the body, lift that hand. So when the spirit leaves, the body is dead. Now notice both of them were carried to a location. One, a place of comfort, the other, a place of torment. And let me just say that when somebody dies, they're carried. They're taken to one of two places. Nobody sticks around and haunts houses. Nobody comes back as a cow. There's no reincarnation. It's appointed for a man to die once. And after that, the judgment. So what happens to that person is they begin in that eternal realm and they're taken to one of two places. Now, if you could come back as a cow and suffer and pay for your sin, Jesus would have never needed to come. But he did come. And he said, if there's any other way to redeem people, do it that way. But there was no other way. So the beggar died. He's carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also dies. Listen, death is the great equalizer. Now, I'm sure this, this rich man had thought that he was ready. Now, you know, they, somebody prepared a eulogy. They had a casket, a burial plot, a nice stone marker. He thought he was ready. And in fact, some people, and it wouldn't have been this man. He was, a, he was a Jew. He understood after life. Some people think it's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. And again, Jesus tears back the veil and says, when somebody dies, that is not the end. That really is the beginning that we step into the eternal realm. And that rich man, he died. He was buried. And the Bible says, being in torments. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and he saw Lazarus at his side. Again, there's only two places to go. And the most horrifying thought that has ever entered any person's mind is this. I've died and I've gone to hell. I've died and I thought I was going to heaven, but I didn't go to heaven. I'm in hell. And that is a thought that has passed through the consciousness of untold billions of people, billions. And some even mock about it. I, I remember talking to one young man and he said to me, hey, he said, I want to go to hell. He said, all my friends are going to be there. We're going to party. Well, it's not a place of partying. He lifts up his eyes and he's in torment in flame. The Bible says the worm doesn't die. It's the most lonely place imaginable. It's called a bottomless pit. Because there's a continual sensation that you're falling and you're falling. It's a place of regret. We plan for about everything. Uh, if you're young, you're planning, where am I going to go to school? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? What vacation should I take? Uh, wh what clothes should I wear? What should I eat? We're, we're making all of these plans and all of these decisions. You know, what kind of car should I have? A million questions in your lifetime. But the most important one is what happens when I die. Where am I going to spend eternity? In fact, the Bible says this. It says, what is your life? It's but a vapor. It's here for a moment and it is gone. In fact, uh, I'm going to ask everybody right now, if you can, if you can, if you just bow your head. The Bible not only has the answers to our questions, 
But more than that, the Bible really does have the most important questions. Some that some of us have missed. The Bible says, what is your life? What's your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little time and it vanishes away. You know, still in the morning, most mornings, if you step outside and you breathe right now, you're going to see a little vapor. It's there for just a moment and then it's gone. But if I ask many people, what's your life? Some people say, well, my life's great. Other people say my life's bad. Some people say my life's my work. My wife's my family. My wife, my life is, is my, my sports. My life is this. My life is that. All right. But the Bible says your life, it's just for a, it's like a vapor. It's just here for a moment and it's gone. Right. Happy. You might say it's a wreck. It's my family. It's my job. But your life is just like a vapor. It's so short. And then another question the Bible says is, what will the end be? What will the end be? And these few verses that we've just uh, looked at, they tell us what the end will be. It's either a place with God or a place separated from God. And then another great question in the Bible. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You know, Jesus really answered that question. He said a couple of things I want to tell you. He said, first of all, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. He's saying that's the only way you can get right with God. That all of my efforts to do good things will never, never make me right with God. And all of your efforts will never make you right with God. There's just one way, and that's through Jesus. And then he said, you must be born again. You said, what does that mean? That means that you need to give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. Receive him as your king and live for him and literally turn your back on your old life and stop living to live for yourself. The Bible calls that repentance. And it says, repent and believe. Turn your back on your old life. Believe that Jesus went to the cross, that he shed his blood and he paid for your sin. Repent and believe. Now, I know that there's people you're watching right now. Some of you have lived for God all your life. Others of you, you're away from God. Some you've never, never surrendered to Jesus. You've never received him, right? But Jesus said, you must be saved. You must, listen, you must be born again. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray a prayer right now. And this is, I want you to make these words your own. And I want you to pray this out loud. And this is really, really important, especially if you're away from God or you're not right with God. But everybody, would you do this? Would you pray this out loud? Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And today I give him all of my heart and all of my life. Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord. And as you enable me, I will live for you every day. I thank you. I am forgiven. My past is gone. And that I am now a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. 
You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.